Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Spirit of Time podcast. I am again flying solo. This is the second time in a couple weeks. Um, Greg is uh, is fine. I hope. I think he had a minor emergency and could not join us. I know he's mildly devastated, uh, but we are joined by none other than Jason Heaton of the Gray NATO fame, um, and he is going to be chatting with us today or with me today about Sweetwater, the Tusker novel series watches, diving, travel, adventure, the whole bit. <laughs> Jason, it is great to see you. How are you, man? Good, good. It's good to be back. And, uh, you know, sorry, Greg couldn't join us, but we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to soldier on without him. Yeah, absolutely. At Greg's kids, I, so I have two kids that are not quite grown, but, you know, basically 18 and 20 and they're, they're basically self-sufficient and are more or less, God, knock on wood, out of the uh, the era of, you know, falling down and tripping and, and getting hurt and getting <laughs> too sick and stuff like that, you know. So I'm, I'm sure yeah. Greg is dealing with something like that, but he'll give me the details later. In yeah. the meantime, why don't we just get right into it? We This is sure. a watch podcast and we, we talk about watches and booze and all the fine stuff. Why don't we do a wrist check and poor check? What have you got on the wrist? Uh, you know, I just put this on, uh, about an hour ago and it is my, uh, Blancpain 50 Fathoms automatic, uh, titanium. So this is uh, a watch that I got back in, I think it was late January or early February of this, this year. So I haven't had it quite a year, but it's been on my wrist a lot this year. And I haven't worn it for a while since I've acquired a few others that kind of stole some wrist time, but I just kind of felt like the right, the right day to pull it out and, and, and put it on. So that's, that's what I'm wearing. All right. So, well, we'll get to mine in a minute. Um, that is a fantastic watch. I almost kind of made the, wow, you know, the crowd goes wild. That is a, yeah. an absolute hero watch. That is the, uh, the watch basically that came home with you or, I mean, figuratively, but from, uh, your South Pacific dive trip, right? Yeah, actually. So I got this watch, as I said, in, in early February and it was the week before, or actually within the week that I was doing my annual ice dive here in the twin cities, um, the lakes freeze over and every year there's always a intrepid crew that goes out and cuts holes in the ice and, and goes diving under the ice. And, and, uh, Blancpain had sent me this watch, um, ahead of this scheduled trip to French Polynesia. And the timing just seemed too perfect. So I, I stuck a really long NATO strap on it and wore it over my dry suit sleeve and, and took it ice diving. And then the week after that, I was off to Rangaroa for this uh, pretty epic week-long adventure with them there to to hunt down and, and kind of study hammerhead sharks. And I was moderating a panel for them there and whatever. So then after that, I gosh, I, I wore it to Cannes and France with another Blanc Pond trip just a few months ago. And I don't know, it's, you know, it, it's the cliche, but the you wear a watch and, and you form a lot of memories with it and, and you, you just want to wear it a lot. And that's, that's what's happened with this one. No, that makes sense. And it's a good one. I mean, you can yeah. form memories with just about any watch. It's a, it's a piece of metal and a, a timepiece after all, but some of yeah. them are just maybe a little more special and that's got to rank up there. Well, and you know, kind of pull back the curtain a bit. I, as I mentioned, I was, I was invited to Rangaroa, not as a member of the press for the release of the, the kind of the act two, 50 Fathoms Tech Gombesa piece um, that they were launching then, um, I was actually there to moderate a panel discussion. And so I guess it was in appreciation or some some form of compensation that they gifted me this watch, which is a, a tremendous gift, of course. And I, I wasn't sure what they were going to send. I just knew they were sending a watch. And, um, you know, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. And so I, I was happy to take whatever they were going to send. And I was so pleased that it was the titanium version because I've spent time with the steel version of this watch and it's, you know, it's a big watch. I mean, this is a 45 millimeter case 
and it does get a bit heavy. Um, but with the titanium version, it just it mitigates that entirely. And then it has these screw bars for the, for the strap, you know, to hold the strap on. And, and what they provide with this watch is a, uh, a fairly short and, and high quality, but not my favorite type of strap. It's a sailcloth. And there was no way that was going to fit over my dry suit. So I took off th- that, that and, and put the screw bars back on and then threaded a, a long NATO through it. And it just kind of feels just right on a NATO strap, like on the sailcloth that I don't want to say it dresses it up. It's not a dress watch by any means, but it, it makes it a little more of a luxury piece. And I think on a NATO, it just, it's that high, low effect where I've got a NATO strap on a historically, you know, very, uh, kind of sober military-esque watch. Um, and yet it, you know, nowadays Blancpain of course is, uh, Hotor Logerie and, and it's, it was just kind of, it feels just right on a NATO. So that's what I've got it on today too. Yeah, no, that's a perfect watch. I, we did not, you know, coordinate as to what watches we were going to wear. And I, I thought that might be one of the things you would wear, but I figured that might be a long shot. I figured, Hey, it could be the, you know, your, your new Tudor or the 2254 yeah. or, or something else, you know, something vintage or a Rick right. Marai caper. Yeah, um, yeah. Spoiled for is, choice here. <laughs> yeah, well, and <laughs> not it, to brag, a, but I, I have gotten some some nice stuff this year, and it's uh, it's a it's a tough uh, proposition when I open my watch box and try to figure out what I'm going to wear for on a given day. Well, it's a good problem to have. Anyway, yeah. the, it's a great entree though because I have a few Blancpain related questions for a little bit later. Um, yeah, so and you're a big fan one. of the brand as well. I absolutely am. Yeah, yeah. And you have a bathyscaphe, I believe, right? I do. And I do the same thing as you. I mean, I periodically take it off of that sailcloth. I've got the green and the black gray sailcloth. And those are great. As you say, they're very high quality, but I will take those off uh, frequently and put them on, you know, either a uh, a NATO or you can get a 23 millimeter Erica's. And I've done that too. And that really kind of makes it look- um, Oh, that's good to know. You know, like, you know, legit mil spec adjacent kind of thing. Right, right. Oh, I didn't know they made it uh, 23 millimeter Erica's. That's uh, might have to pull the trigger on that after we click off here today. Yeah, I hope I'm not misremembering that, but I'm almost 100% because I've, I've done some that are 22s, the regular NATOs. Sure. Um, and, you know, there's just not enough gap to make it a big right. deal. Um, and yeah. it's, it works out good. So that's cool. Yeah. And it, it's funny because, you know, I, I put on, I've got one of those very uh, overpriced, well, I shouldn't say overpriced, let's just call them expensive, the triple aught design NATO strap that, that they made. I think they still sell them actually. And they've got, they've got this beautiful kind of milled titanium hardware on it. I think it was, it was made for them by Rexford knives and they sell for you know between two and $300. Again, they'd sent me one to try out a few years ago and it's a 22 millimeter and it kind of was a good fit for this watch. And that's what I took ice diving. And then when I went to French Polynesia, someone at Blancpain had been paying attention and they said, um, we'd like you to have this, a proper long NATO strap. And so they gave me a Blancpain NATO that is incredibly long. It's it's like made for wearing over a dry suit and it has the titanium buckle and then the fabric keepers. And it's just this giant, really long, proper 23 millimeter NATO strap. So that's pretty cool. No, that's perfect. I want to say they came yeah. out with some NATOs uh, in the past year or so, and I, I need to go shopping for those. Take a look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the watch. Well, what what's are you in wearing? The glass? Oh, oh well, what's in the glass? All right. Well, I'll, 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 I'll keep on here. Um, I, so I, I just finished my tea. It's like mid-afternoon here, and you know I'm kind of moving from, from a stimulant to a sedative here. So I, I in honor of Spirit of Time podcast, I, I poured a, a pretty special dram today. Uh, Gishani and I had gone to Scotland for a couple of weeks back in April and, and sampled a lot of different whiskeys and shipped a few home. One of which was, uh, a cask strength single malt from the Isle of Skye from a distillery called Torabeg. And the Isle of Skye has two distilleries on it. One of which is far more famous than the other, um, Talisker. Uh, yep. we did visit Talisker, uh, and brought some Talisker home and I love Talisker, but uh, this Torabeg is, it's a smaller distillery, a more, a, a newer distillery. Um, but it, it has that kind of same spicy kind of peaty flavor to it. And this one's a cask strength one. So it's got an, a little bit of a, a burn to it and, uh, it's really a, a really nice one. And so those, I think we shipped back six or seven bottles and we kind of keep those tucked away for the occasional dram. You know, we don't want to 
to squander them uh, kind of a, as a quote unquote daily drinker, you know, so those we, we, we buy other things to, to have when we're sitting around the fire, but I thought I'd pull this out for today. So that's what I've got in the glass. Yeah, that's fantastic. You should Sharpie the bottom of the bottles like, you know, Scotland, uh, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the date or something like that. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'll start in and, reverse order. I've got yeah. something in the glass that is uh, kind of <laughs> true to me. I mean, I, I'm a rum person and this is what I've been on to uh, lately now that I'm maybe a little bit more off of the the tiki style cocktail. This is this is kind of the drink without a name. I posted something, you know, on this, I think actually on the Slack channel, it's just a rum refresher and it's about 50% club soda. And the red that you see in there to give it kind of a a holiday spirit vibe, whatever my wife makes this, um, mocktail reduction, like every, maybe every other week she makes a big batch of it, like, you know, a quart. And it is a, a, a pan reduced, um, just a big mess of cranberry with a little bit of salt and some sugar. Oh my squash god! Squash those things up and reduce them in a uh, a lot of fresh squeezed lime, and it reduces wow. into this syrup with the sugar. Yeah, that just goes in a uh, in a jar, and then we you know we use that <laughs> as like you know something to kind of oh, yeah. just you know spice up a you know a sparkling water or something like that. It's it's bitter, it's sweet, it's got a little bit of the citrus sour note all at once, and yeah. then. Yeah. So that's what's in here. And then there's an ounce of Tusker appropriate Mount Gay Black Bay, uh, Black Barrel is the, uh, the rum. So that's nice. the, the spirit choice. And then it's actually, you know, fairly warm. We have cold evenings here, like in the, in the forties or high thirties, but daytime's yeah. still about 70. So I've got oh, some perfect. ice in here and yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's low ABV and very nice. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. good afternoon drink on a, on a warm afternoon. That, that sounds tremendous. A hundred percent. And it's that cranberry piece gives it the, you know, the holiday thing. So that's what's in yeah. the glass and on the wrist. Um, this is something you've probably seen a lot of lately. Oh my goodness. There it is. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. This is the, uh, the Tudor FXD. I don't know if we have official nomenclature for it. I think they call it the FXD black, but we refer to it around here as the, the FXD Navy or USN. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like you, it's one of those where once it's on, it's on, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah. I put this thing on, this is on the, uh, the watches of espionage, the NATO strap that he does and the five eyes collection, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. it, it complements the thing perfectly. And I've kind of put away the, the OEM strap, which is, is quite good yep. um, just to keep it in, in good shape. Um, yeah. And this is one that, you know, famous last words, as you well know, but this is one that I don't, I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon. Oh, I, I, I love that watch. I mean, I, I'm almost resisting the urge to just wear that 24 seven all the time. I, you know, I, I've got, I, I wrote a piece, I, I, I read a, a weekly Substack um, newsletter blog, and my last post was about my uh, kind of revisiting my collection. I, I, I've neglected a lot of my watches over the past, you know, year to the point where I keep them all in, in a Pelican case. And I, I seldom kind of take the watches out and look through them. I, I wear like the same four or five watches all year long. Like this Blancpain I wore for probably the first three or four months of the year, almost nonstop. And then when the Tudor uh, FXD came along in September, that was on my wrist for a month straight. And I, the thing I love about that, the FXD is it, it's such a do anything watch and it's, it's no date chronometer spec light as can be because it's titanium. And then, you know, matte finish very flat and you, you put it on as you have to a NATO or, you know, a single piece or pull through or the Velcro that comes with it. And it's just, it's like a perfect go anywhere, do anything watch. And I, I know that's a, a total cliche, but like I, I sleep in it, I wear it, I run in it now. I, I don't even bother to put my Garmin on anymore. It's just, it's such a perfect, comfortable watch that I feel flies under the radar enough that, you know, next time I'm traveling, I, I wouldn't hesitate to kind of throw that thing on. You could even wear it on the inside of your wrist and be comfortable with it that way. So yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. I love it. I made a point of, uh, I was very fortunate to get it uh, immediately and uh was able to take it on a trip to Hawaii and you know it just this oh, got yeah. in the water with me a lot on yeah. that trip and just to be able to say yeah you know this has been swimming yeah. all over the different beaches on Kauai has been great so yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Does it bother you? <laughs> this is a weird, and, and only those of us that are watch nerds will understand this, but does it bother you that to wear a strap that has hardware that is not the same metal as the case of the watch? It, not really. For me, it's I a mean, little bit of a niggling, niggling issue that, that I wear. Most of my NATOs have steel hardware, like 99% of them. And you know, with, with the watches of espionage ones, they're, they're wonderful straps and I wear mine quite a bit, even on the Pelagos, but it's a titanium watch and you've got this steel hardware and it's like, you know, it, like part of me wants to go to Prometheus design works and pick up one of their NATOs that has titanium hardware just because, you know? Yeah. It doesn't really bother me. I think it would be different if the, um, you know, the finish was radically different. Cause I mean, this is, this is not as knocked down in terms of matte mm -hmm. finish as the, the most of the watch head is, but I mean, it does kind of match the beveling. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, once I hold this thing about two feet away from my face, it kind of <laughs> looks the same, you know, it would be that's different. True. Like that's if true. it was, if it was blacked out or if it was like right. know, gold or chrome finish or something like that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. 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 So I'm good with it. Yeah. Well, anyhow, let's, uh, let's cut to the chase because I know you're on a hard out and I would like to talk if you don't mind. I mean, I have a list of a couple of quick, like rapid fire questions and just mm -hmm. to kind of get your, your brain warmed up and yeah. then we'll get right into it. Um, sure. You are wearing a, an awesome watch. And I, again, I said I had some Blanc Pond content lined up here. So here's my first question. Just, uh, if you could only have one absolute legend vintage dive watch explorer, the Explorer Dial, Big Crown Sub, or mm -hmm. Long Pond 50 Fathoms, U.S. Navy issue from like the 60s. Which do you pick? Oh, boy. Wow. Of the, I'm really glad you narrowed it down to two. Um, yeah, of those I, two. Because I mean, they're- Of they're, those two. I, I'm going to go with the Sub. Interesting. I'm going to go with the, with the Rolex. Uh, a Big Crown Sub. I mean, vintage subs are just something so special. Not that the Blanc Ponds aren't, but- the Blanc Ponds, they, they, they have a wider bezel. They wear slightly smaller. Um, I don't know. There's something about a vintage Submariner and, 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 you know, you, you get a vintage, like a, a big crown and it's so good. And it reminds me of, of the, like the Black Bay 54. I, I tried, I've tried that on a couple of times before I got my FXD and I was sorely tempted, you know, it's a 37 millimeter watch and, and no crown guards. And it's just such a beauty. Um, yeah, I could be a sucker for that. That works. Okay. The next one, just, there's a million to choose from, but the first thing that pops in your mind, like word association, the first great writer that you think of, who's your favorite? Paul Bowles. Okay. Educate me. Paul Bowles. Okay. So, um, I learned about Paul Bowles back in the eighties. I was uh, listening to the synchronicity album by the police. And the last song on the album, um, was a song called tea in the Sahara. And I, in reading the liner notes, I learned that Sting, who wrote the song, was inspired by a book called The Sheltering Sky by Paul Bowles, who was an American expat who lived predominantly in North Africa. And the, the, the book, The Sheltering Sky, is set there. And his, his stories are rather dark, um, but it really is about, most of his content is about Americans or, or Westerners abroad, people traveling and getting into harm's way and... Um, kind of blundering their way through other cultures and, and the, the problems that they encounter. And I've always liked his style and, and kind of that, that topic. Ooh, okay. When you said North Africa, um, you know, Westerners abroad made me think of killing Rommel. Um, okay. So <laughs> that's a great answer. I'm going to have to check that out then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on a cold Northern evening, do you want a good scotch or a porter beer? Good scotch. Yeah. 10 out of 10 every time. Cool. Well, I tell you what, I've got a couple more of these questions, but let's just, I'm going to eschew those and let's just dive right in. Cause I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Sure. Um, the latest project is Sweetwater. This is another of the Julian Tusk, the Tusker novel, uh, series yeah. for those who haven't read the book. Can you walk us through kind of the story arc, you know, no, no spoilers, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, what, who is this guy and, and what is kind of the progression of the story? Yeah, Julian Tusk is uh, an American underwater archaeologist. <laughs> you know, we talk about Americans abroad getting into trouble, and uh, we, we first met Tusker. Tusker is his nickname uh, a couple of years ago in my first book called Depth Charge, in which he was abroad in Sri Lanka doing some work there, and a friend of his died in a boat accident. And when he went to kind of 
investigate this. He discovered that that the cause of his death was 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 there was something odd about it, and lo and behold, he got wrapped up in a case of uh, a, a, a rather villainous wealthy individual who was after uh, a long lost shipwreck at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. And Tusker gets embroiled in this. And so we meet him again in Sweetwater and it's a year after the end of the depth charge adventure. He's back home uh, living in the upper peninsula of Michigan where he teaches underwater archaeology. And um, he's troubled by some of the the things that happened in Sri Lanka in depth charge. And, And this book is certainly a sequel, but I've, I've written it in such a way that I, I didn't want people to have to have read Depth Charge in order to understand what's going on in Sweetwater, even though there are references back. And so he's, he's dealing with some of the trauma from that, that story. And at the same time, a new sort of mystery kind of bubbles to the surface. And, and it happens to be around, there's, there's a level of sort of political intrigue in this book because it's election season. It's, it's late October. Uh, of a of a presidential election year, and um, he's contacted by a news reporter to comment on a sunken plane that that crashed into Lake Superior in 1978. And the reason he's contacted is because a he's an underwater archaeologist, but also his father, who was a, a Navy diver back in the 60s and 70s, actually worked on the salvage project to determine the cause of that plane wreck in 1978. And so as he's digging into this, he's uncovering some things that, that aren't really as they seem or, or you know, are, are different than, than they appear on the surface. And as, as he kind of pulls the threads to this story, um, there's just a lot more going on here. And so he's kind of working in tandem with this news reporter who contacted him, who's trying to uncover the same story, but also an old friend of his who's also a diver. Um, and kind of, we, we, we see him getting in pretty deep here, uh, pardon the pun. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a lot of, I would say this is a, this is a, a bit of a darker book than depth charge. I think because Tusker's dealing with some, some wounds from his past adventures and also digging really deeply into his relationship with his father and, and some kind of difficulties that his own father had in his past. So, um, without, you know, I, I can't give away too much more without, you know, spoiling it for people that haven't read it, but that's kind of the gist of the story. Yeah, I, um, I finished the book. I got it, you know, a couple weeks ago, finished the book over the course of probably two weekend reads and lent it to Greg. Um, I thought it was, it was a faster, even more engaging, um, read than depth charge. And I really like depth charge, depth, depth charge, felt to me very much like if you had intended to try to write something in the style of, you know, an early Fleming book, you mm-hmm. know, not too long, um, yeah. not too many branches in the, you know, in the progression of the story um, right. and fairly tidy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like mission accomplished. And this feels like that it takes that formula and cl- kind of cleans it up even. Um, yeah. I-, I feel like I got through it really fast. Um, who do you see in your mind when you close your eyes? Who is, mm-hmm. is there a real life analog to Julian Tusk? Like, is there somebody who in, inspired you? I think a lot of your fans would say you're certainly part of that guy, but is there anybody else that you model him after? I, I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, say, oh, you know, you're, 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 you're Tusker. Um, and, and it's funny because the, the name Tusker actually came from a nickname that a friend of mine gave to me uh, when we were uh, an old high school buddy of mine. We, my wife and I, who's, who's from Sri Lanka, um, we invited him and his wife along to, on a trip to Sri Lanka about 10 years ago. And at the time, he started calling me Tusker. And the name kind of stuck, and he always kind of joked around. And so suddenly it was like, that'd be like a great name for a, the hero of a book. But I assure you the, the, the character is not me. Um, there's certainly elements, the way he dresses and his, you know, watch choices and vehicle choices and things like that. Um, but he's, you know, I suppose like any author, a hero or protagonist is a sort of a collection of different people that, that we've met along the way. And, and I've brushed up against my share of underwater, underwater archeologists, marine biologists, you know, professional divers. And he's, he's a bit of all of that. And what I really wanted to to do with this character was as opposed to 
say, uh, you know, a James Bond or a, or a Dirk Pitt type character, I wanted to make him even more human, more flawed. And so, especially in this book, you know, we see him, you know, visiting a therapist and, and struggling through kind of coming to terms with his relationship with his father and, and some, uh, kind of psychological issues that he's dealing with. And, and I really wanted that because one thing I've enjoyed is if you read some, especially a lot of like the Nordic noir kind of books, the Henning Mankel stuff, the, the Kurt Wallander mysteries and, and Kenneth Branagh did a series based on the books on, on PBS uh, a few years ago, you see a character who, you know, might have a drinking problem, bad relationships. Um, I think he's slightly overweight and he's diabetic and, you know, all of this, I think it makes these characters more relatable. And I really wanted to continue down that path with Tusker. And I wanted the, the surrounding supporting characters to be um, helping him more than, than just sort of two-dimensional characters that are just along for the ride. And so, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that's where I diverge from the book, the style of book that has inspired me, which, as you mentioned, and it's a very flattering comparison, you know, the early Ian Fleming, Alistair MacLean, um, Frederick Forsyth, uh, Clive Cussler to a certain degree, um, and, and, and kind of head down that route. And I feel like there's a bit of a dearth of that type of thriller these days that, that, like you said, a quick read, kind of a linear plot, um, not too highbrow. We're not, we're not, you know, trying to get too philosophical here. Um, and I just, I enjoy books like that. So that's kind of what I set out to write with, with both of these books. Excellent. Well, having finished it, you know, uh, for myself, it feels like, and again, no spoilers, it feels like the end was tidy enough, but there's some unfinished business, I think. And mm-hmm. I could see, um, I could see, you know, there being a completely new story or, you know, something that picks up essentially right after, you know, as opposed to, as you said, you know, the, this book is a follow on from the previous story but you yeah. don't necessarily need to have read the first one. It feels to me like the sequel of, or the next installment, assuming there is another installment could mm-hmm. easily pick right up like the day after. Oh yeah. You know? And, yeah. and so here's my question Yeah. in listening to you talk about your process and just, you know, the, the history of how you've put together, you know, the books starting as a project into an actual kind of a, a writing enterprise, yeah. I think you've expressed, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like frustration with especially the amount of time it takes if you follow like the the corporate publishing route. Right. And right. you know, that can that can be a, an obstacle. Would you consider doing something like a novella as a means of, you know, dropping in smaller short stories, like a, a novella as a sequel to this, or, you know, something to expand sort of the Tusker verse? for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But you know, um, something, something that could be yeah. produced in, you know, basically in one year or, you know, right, eight or 10 right. months and and have it out. If you're self-publishing, is that something that yeah. you could do or would you consider? I mean, it's, it's a great idea. And I think, um, I had, I've toyed with the idea of taking that even a step further. And I, you know, it, it's very tempting to do, even do like serialized, fiction, short fiction, where, uh, as I mentioned, I've, I've got this, uh, swim proof sub stack, uh, weekly blog that I do and for subscribers. And I thought what a neat outlet for that to, to put out a weekly chapter, um, that moves a story forward every week. And so the, you know, the people that, that are subscribing, they, they can just, you know, they wait a week and they get the next, the next chapter. And, and the story moves forward that way. I, I love that idea. Um, it, it feels old fashioned. It feels like, you know, what they used to do in magazines or, or in radio hour, say, things like that. I was going to say, yeah, like 1930s radio, but on the internet. Yeah. And I could even do, uh, audio, you know, I can, I could do audio versions of it. Just record myself reading a chapter each week. I mean, I think it'd be so fun, but they're, they're, they're kind of built in logistical problems with that. And that is for one thing I would have to, um, I'd have to have the story pretty well mapped out before I started, or I could really paint myself into a corner, you know, you, as I did with Depth Charge. Depth Charge was a book, my first book, and I didn't write, really know what I was doing uh, from a novel perspective and having never written one before. So I just naively sat down and just started writing, you know, from page one till page 250 or whatever. And 
my gosh, I got two thirds of the way through and realized like, oh, wait, that guy, you know, what, what day was that? And was what month was that? And, and did this happen? And then I had to back up and delete characters and move things around, change dates. Now, you, if I were doing a serialized fiction, it would be really, really tricky to do that. Um, yeah, not that's to mention, a Yeah, not to mention that I think people have this satisfaction of of a physical book in their hand, and I think, um, or, and and maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but the part of the fun of the publishing is having a, an end product and a complete book that that I can then deliver to to people, and to kind of wait for an entire, let's say, it took me eight months to, to publish every chapter or something to this in this serialized format. Like that's a long time to wait till you have the final thing. And then what do I do? Do I compile it into one book and then sell that? Or, you know, I, so I'm not sure, but I do like that idea. I do like the idea of shorter kind of stories. And I've done a couple, I think I've done two Tusker short stories, so to speak. And, and it reminds me of, again, going back to kind of one of my literary heroes, Ian Fleming, like he did a couple of, there was a, there's a collection of books uh, or sorry, a collection of stories in one of his books, um, in which, um, you know, it's, it's a series of short stories and it's kind of a neat idea. Yeah. I want to say in a, the name of the author is, uh, escaping me, but I ran across again, kind of a novella format story. Um, the, uh, slow horses guy, you know, he's oh, got yeah, that, Mick Heron. that whole thing. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think he's got a couple of those sprinkled in where there's some of these, you know, tangential characters that he sure. goes yeah. into their life for a minute. And, you know, he, he yeah. cranks out maybe 60 pages on, on that. So yeah, anyway, just yeah. food for thought. I don't know. That could yeah. be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. I like that. Excellent. So any ideas for, well, let me back up. Um, the hero watch in, in Sweetwater is what? Um, so my philosophy about the watches in these books is, well, it, it's a reflection of Tusker, the character for one thing. And, and I, I really like this idea that Tusker, I don't want to, I don't want to present him as a watch nerd. I, he's not one of, he's not one of us in that regard. Um, he is someone for whom a watch is a tool. The first watch that he was wearing when we met him in depth charge was his father's watch an Aquastar Benthos. Um, that he lost at the end. Um, that might be a bit of a spoiler for people that haven't read that book. But, um, and I, I had this idea that what if, you know, because a, a large part of my audience um, are, are watch enthusiasts, it's a fun way to introduce a new watch in each book if something happens to the watch from the previous book, um, whether it's destroyed or lost or stolen or something. So, um, and it's a little bit of a challenge for me to come up with new ways to to shed these watches, you know, one, one to the next. Um, so in this book, he starts out with a watch that was given to him by his love interest in the first book as a memento. And so he's wearing that through, through much of this, through almost the entire book. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll just say, because a lot of people have read depth charge, so they'll know that it was a, a Pepsi bezeled Seiko. Um, and I'm not going to give it away, but something happens, uh, to that, to that watch. And he ends up with a different one at the end. And yeah, he I, sold I think, it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, wouldn't that be something if Tusker was on the forums, like selling watches? That would, <laughs> I think that would kill, that would be a real buzzkill, I think, for this story. But I also deliberately didn't want to name specific uh, references. Um, I was talking to somebody recently about this idea of like sprinkling in product details or, or, or details about specific items a la Ian Fleming, where, you know, you're talking about the driving lights on a car or the pair of shoes he's wearing or, or whatever it might be, a jacket or something, um, without laying it on too thick, because then it starts to come across like, like a marketing arrangement, you know, uh, there, I don't know if you're familiar with Randy Wayne White's books, the Doc Ford series of mysteries, and it's quite good. I recommend them, especially the early ones. Again, a, a, a maritime, uh, I believe he's a marine biologist living in Florida, and he also gets kind of swept up in these adventures. Um, and I believe in some of the early books, he was wearing a Rolex. Uh, but then in one book, it was, it was like out of left field. The description says he was wearing a Graham swordfish, you know, you, you know, Graham, the watch company. Yeah, yeah absolutely. With, they they yeah, make the like the big bomb, bomb timer looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and they made a dive watch called the swordfish. And it was just such a weird thing. I thought yeah, it just smacked of like, 
the author got one of these or, or it felt too specific. It, so I've really it, tried it's hard. It's very not to, specific, not to right? It's, yeah. they, they always strike me as being extremely kind of steampunky. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't fit in with the character maybe. Right. Right. And, and, and also Tusker not being a watch nerd, isn't the type that would like drill that deep to like, you know, be that picky about like, Oh, I'm going to go shopping for a watch. You know, it's gotta be given to him or he has to find it or inherit it or something. Well, I, so, I love the non-specificity because you could have three different people reading it in three parts of the country. One person with a, a Pepsi bezel SKX 009, somebody with yeah. a 7002 and somebody else with the new solar. And yeah, they all think it's right. their watch. Right, right. That's you another know, thing too. And, yeah, and for you them, can make it, can, it your own. Yeah, it can all be yeah. their, their thing. So that's, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, I, you know, I, I know I only have you for another maybe 10 or 15 more minutes. I wanted to, um, this will be my final kind of sweet water question. Do you have yeah. an idea without spoiling anything? Um, if there is another story and I'm assuming there is, are you able to mm-hmm. confirm yes or no? Yes. I, um, I do have plans for a third book and okay. the funny thing is I've I actually, before I started Sweetwater, I had written about a third of actually probably over a third of a different novel, uh, a different Tusker novel. It was a whole different adventure set in a very different place. And I think probably because I'm not going to, I think that one has now died. Um, I think I could reveal what it was and it was, it was going to be, you know, I try to, I try to kind of structure these storylines around the discovery or the search for a, a yet to be found shipwreck. And you know, what, what was the, I mean, three years ago or whatever, what was the, the big yet to be found shipwreck? It was Shackleton's endurance. Right. And, and yes. so I, I really wanted to set the story in Antarctica with the hunt for the endurance. And then of course it unravels into this, bigger adventure with, with some sort of villain and that sort of thing. Well, lo and behold, they found endurance when I was about <laughs> halfway through the plot and I just could not figure out how to kind of rewind and, and go in a different direction. So I, I abandoned that and switched gears and then it became Sweetwater. Um, so I have this kind of unwritten or, or unfinished manuscript based on, on the hunt for the endurance. And I'm not sure that I'll ever see the light of day, but I did have another, I do have another one that I kind of started a, a chapter or two on. Uh, in a very different part of the world that that I will definitely be revisiting. Well, all of that is to lead me to this question, and that is, can you reveal what part of the world will Tusker be operating in next? Or not specifically, you? not specifically, but um, and, and this this leads it leaves it very open. But I have this thought in my mind of, you know, depth charge was in Sri Lanka, tropical environment. This one was in. North America, Great Lakes, kind of a colder environment. Um, the next one we're going to, we're kind of going to kind of oscillate between hot and cold. So the next one will be in a tropical location. And my, my other thing, the other kind of problematic part of an Antarctica theme was it's very cost prohibitive for, you know, a novelist, you know, who's <laughs> selling his own books out of his dining room to, to, to justify spending, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 to go do research into Antarctica, you know, like for my book. So I, I need to be able to pick a place that I can probably get to and really kind of dig in and, and look around and get some, uh, some local Intel and kind of the lay of the land. Cause I think that's really important to, to know the place that you're writing about. So it'll, it'll be a place that I can actually go and, and investigate. I can imagine you'd need a pretty massive, like logistical support train to be, to be yeah. diving, to be in Antarctica, let alone to start diving there. Yeah. It's yeah. And I've, I've had a couple reasonable. of people, you know, one of whom we've had on, on the gray NATO, Becky Kagan shot who leads yep. trips to Antarctica. And she said, Oh, you should come to Antarctica uh, on, with me next year. Cause she leads these trips. And it, it was tempting for about 10 seconds to like looked at the, the cost and it was, you know, $17,000 or something. And I just, I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty healthy tax write off for, for, uh, for a novelist, but we'll see. I don't think I can swing that unless I sell something or a, a couple of watches, but who knows? Yeah, well, probably not a lot of good opportunities for cocktails and other stuff to do in Antarctica either. So I, That's I true. would steer yeah. care of that. Stay, stay to yeah. the tropical locales. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll All right. So a, a, a rum drink with cranberry. A hundred percent. Yeah. I can recommend yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Yeah. 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 
All right. So let's put a pin in the book um, and yeah. circle back on, I kind of alluded to the fact that you're, you're wearing the Blanc Pond. I'm a huge fan of that brand. I think you are as well. I've got, you know, mm-hmm. a big stack of the uh, letters du Brassou yeah. here, you know, on my kind of my uh, yeah. credenza here. Um, do you think Blanc Pond is going to release a new variant of the 50 Fathoms for regular production? Obviously they made it a big deal this year. You know, there is the, uh, the tech watch, which is, which is amazing to me that that is mm-hmm. the first real leap forward in, in like applicable technology that makes sense that to my knowledge, nobody else has done. So it was a great watch. Yeah. They did the gold watch. Um, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, to me, that's one of those things that's like really cool. Like, Oh, you know, the angels sing and all that stuff. But I mean, it's, yeah. it's expensive. It's a bummer. I'm never going to have one of those. Do, do you think it's time that they refreshed the mainstream core offering? I think so. I think I, I would not be surprised, I'll, and I do not have any insider info on this, but I I do think we will see a steel version of that uh, Act Three, uh, Fifty Fathoms, kind of the the seventieth seventieth anniversary piece. I I would I would be surprised if they don't take that formula and and do something. Maybe it'll be another limited edition, but but considerably more affordable than than the gold bronze one that they that they came out with. But um, having interviewed Mark Hayek on, on TGN a little while ago. Um, I, we, we briefly asked about, uh, the future of kind of their dive watch development. And of course in five years, it's going to be the 75th anniversary of the 50 fathoms. I mean, come on, that's even a bigger anniversary in my mind. Sure. But, um, he said, Oh no, this, this next year is not going to be about dive watches. I mean, he, he pretty much said that. So I'm not sure what that means. I mean, that doesn't mean they won't spin off a version of something that they've released, but I can't see them coming up with something all new this year. I think they've kind of they need to take a break from from their dive watch uh, shenanigans for a while. Well, I won't say from your lips to God's ears because I hope you're wrong. I think you you know you may very well be right if if the the man himself came out and said it. I had hoped you know with the uh, the Swatch collab, right? You know the 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 colorful kind of Act Two to the Moon Swatch, but the the Blanc Pond, yeah, uh, caper there. It seemed like they did such a good job doing a one for one with the moon watch, you know, in terms of the, the actual physical dimensions, mm-hmm. it seemed likely that they would do the same thing with whatever they picked for the Blanc Pond collaboration. Yeah. And that thing is 42. Right. But otherwise right. looks very, very similar, right. In terms of, you know, the, the overall kind of the silhouette of the watch yeah. and it, it did get my wheels turning like, okay, Hey, this is, this is 42 <laughs> and it's kind of the sweet spot and it's what everybody wants. And yeah. know, Blanc Pond like other watch brands is famous for giving you not quite what you want or giving it exactly what you want, but limited edition. Yeah. 50 yeah. pieces worldwide. And they're sold by the time you see the the article. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like want, want. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I hope, hope we see something soon because that, that would be great to make something a little bit more size uh, accessible for more people. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the number one, bit of feedback that everybody says, you know, everybody wants kind of a more widely wearable size. I mean, they did the, you know, they've done some Hodinkee limited editions. They've done, um, I guess it was the, the act one of the 70th anniversary year was a, I believe that was a 42 millimeter. So that was kind of close, but again, very limited, long gone. Um, so they, they've done it. They, we know, we know they can do it. Um, uh, currently, you know, I mean, Everybody says, "Oh, the 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 the, the standard fifty fathoms is too big," and and certainly fifty five uh, forty five millimeters is a big watch. But you know, I, I wore this for months, and and it, granted, I'm 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 a bigger guy, but my wrists aren't huge. I've got you know seven and a quarter inch wrists, and uh, especially with the titanium, I I I just I feel like dive watches are big watches. I mean, they, they I kind of am okay with that. The Aqua Stars, the Doxas, the you know Plo Profs. I mean, these are big big watches, and I I mean, if you want a smaller watch, buy a you know. A Rolex Explorer or something. Yeah, I think that's fair. There are certain watches that are just supposed to be big. You know, I yeah. I hope when people see, you know, somebody wearing a Panerai, a Panerai, that's a big watch, you know, depending yeah. on which one, um, yeah. that you don't automatically judge that person or think that they're, you know, a goofball because they've got a, a 44 millimeter, you know, luminor. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, on a, on a wrist that's maybe a little less than seven inches and it's, yeah. you know, dwarfs your arm. Well, it's supposed to look like that. So. Right. Right. Eh. 
All right. Well, fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Well, Jason, we're coming up on like 43 minutes here. Do you have maybe five more minutes? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go out strong here. Okay. (laughs) So the Slack channel, um, I full disclosure, I'm on it. Uh, I like it. Um, yeah, I wonder, you know, what are your impressions? What, what direction do you see the, and I'm making the inverted commas thing here, but the gray NATO enterprise Mm -hmm. that is you and James, you know, that, that online presence and the brand and, and the, the, the website, the podcast, all that stuff. Yeah. What direction do you see that taking in the next few years? I think we've discussed, you know, we, we, we dipped our toe in the world of selling ads when we were kind of in the, under the Houdinki umbrella, didn't like it, don't like reading ads and going kind of our subscriber, uh, kind of model has worked out really well for us. I think it, it, it's a slow growth but it's a steady growth and it really encourages the loyalty and the kinship that we have among our, our audience. And I think we'll just keep doing that. And certainly as with any business, uh, you know, you want some growth. Um, but we aren't, we aren't greedy. We both have other things, uh, brewing that we're both doing. And so I don't think we're going to do anything too hasty. And I think the, the way to keep our listeners and subscribers happy and to encourage new people to, to join us is to just offer more and better content. And so one thing we've been kicking around is offering a, a video component to the podcast. So we've, we've announced that, that once we hit 2000 paying subscribers, we're going to launch a YouTube channel and, and start adding a video component to the podcasts. And, and, you know, you mentioned our Slack community and, and, you know, for those that are listening that don't know, uh, you know, Slack is one of these, I don't know what you call it, a tool that a lot of businesses use for internal communications, kind of a messaging forum space and paying subscribers have access to this. And we have over a thousand uh, members of that Slack community. And it's just the most tremendous, positive, supportive, uplifting group of people. And I just, I love it for that. And I don't want to, I don't want to do anything to spoil that. I mean, TGN has not changed other than adding that Slack channel and a few little tweaks in like six years. I mean, we still record it the same way. We still present it weekly. It's the same theme music, the same format. And I don't want to, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to ruin a good thing. You know, I've been a part of businesses over the years that have grown for the sake of growth. And then they, they kind of, you know, the, the, the bloom is off the rose, so to speak. I, I don't want that to be the case with TGN. And we've gotten feedback about this proposal for moving to video. And surprisingly, some people have said, don't, don't do it. You know, we like, we, we feel that the audio will suffer if you do that. Um, uh, you know, I like listening to in the car. I just, it's an audio format for me, whatever. Some people are on the other side of it and say they'd love video. So we'll see where this goes. You know, I think, I think we'll, we do everything in kind of slow motion and very prudently. So whatever we do, will will be a, a well thought through decision. Absolutely. Well, that is good to hear. I personally, you know, not that my opinion basically is worth what you paid for it, which is nothing, but there's a, there's a, a great, uh, you know, content outlet that I use and I won't mention it just because, you know, people will recognize it, but, um, I grew accustomed to consuming their content, um, via a podcast and they have mm-hmm. done the thing where they kind of did, you know, the branch. So there's, you know, everything is available in an audio format and now video. Yeah. And, I, my, um, my impression is that the vast majority of their consumption is still audio. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and it's one of those things where be, I don't know if it, if it's just because it didn't start that way or, you know, a lot of people listen to things, uh, because yeah. they, like me, they spend a lot of time in a car going yeah. back and forth. I'm an outside person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the video just kind of languishes unless there's something very specific <laughs> that they're doing right. on the, on the video platform that I want to see. But that's yeah. probably maybe one fourth of what they do. So yeah. yeah, the people who say, "Hey, don't do it," there's that I can almost see some validity to that. But if you keep it like this and just you know yeah. have it be, I I think you're not going to be in a position where you're investing too much, where it becomes you know like you're a slave to the video content part of it and constantly doing stuff. Because I I know other people who do that on channels. Oh yeah, the 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 channel is their master. <laughs> Yeah. And the, you know, the production value has to be high and they've got, now they have a producer and a videographer and lighting and 
a set and that sort of thing. I think if we do it, it will be done in a very incremental way. It'll be basically adding a camera and a decent light to what we're already doing. And, and so hopefully it won't change much other than the fact that I have to up my office game or, or, you know, comb my hair every now and then what little I have. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Well, very good. I, uh, as I said, I, I am a member on that Slack channel. I think it's very much, uh, worth the, um, the input in terms of, you know, the small price that you have to pay to get access to it. I've met for myself. I mean, I've met a number of people here in Southern California that I probably would not have met and that are outside of my collector group, but are now, you know, people that I communicate with and kind of in the, the spirit of time fold. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. 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 Well, we appreciate your support and, and, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, your subscription is, is great, but also just your support over the years and your contributions and your feedback has, has always been, been greatly appreciated. We consider you one of the, the loyal old guard of TGN. So that's great. Happy oh, thanks that. very much. That actually means a lot. I appreciate it. Jason, we're literally about to tip over the 50 minute mark. So let's go ahead and, uh, and put a pin in it until next time. I really appreciate you coming on. I'm sorry. I know Greg will be you know, gutted to have missed this opportunity to chat with you, but um, maybe because there's that, that hard out, this worked out just as well in terms of keeping yeah. it streamlined. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your having me on and, and all the best to Greg. And I hope, uh, hope the emergency wasn't, wasn't uh, unmanageable and, and that we'll catch up again sometime soon. So yeah. thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I was going to say, I still haven't heard anything from him. I've been monitoring my phone. I'm, I'm hoping that he's okay. Greg, we hope you're okay. <laughs> Um, yeah <laughs> very good well jason this is uh this has been a lot of fun cheers to you i'm gonna to hold up the glass this will be the last yes, sip indeed. salute cheers Schlante. there you go slancha we hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice it really does help you can find us on instagram at spirit of time podcast and contact us at spirit of time podcast at gmail.com As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.